Lions of the Southland, Sunday, December 12th, 2021. Mr. Grant, uh, I believe you dug into the archives and found a super fun fact that segues nicely into our first topic of this week. Yeah, so with the news this week that they're uh, restoring some public access to the nice green space around the waterworks, uh, that kind of set off a little bell in the back of my head, I guess. And uh, yeah, no, the, the first freshman cake race was actually out to the waterworks and back. So there's your tech tie, uh, the waterworks famous picnic spot, uh, but also site of many track meets in general for the Atlanta community in the past uh, and noted that cross country race um, that the freshman cake race did start at. Uh, was a trip from Harrison Square-ish area all the way up to the Waterworks and back. That's about four miles, depending on how you cut it. But uh, I don't know, just interesting interesting parallels there, though. I guess uh, we'll have to go on a nice picnic up there sometime. we got to do a live podcast from the Waterworks at the uh, historic Atlanta track facility. Yeah, um, that was for the sake of completion. It was uh, fenced off pretty thoroughly when the Olympics came to town. So, uh, under the threat of, you know, not having somebody poisoning the water hole, uh, in the same vein that, you know, they poison the watering hole, but yeah, in, in the same vein of them shutting down like the nuclear reactor and stuff like that. So just, just an interesting parallel to, to a current day event, I think. And that brings us very nicely, folds very nicely into our first topic of this week which we were actually supposed to cover last week, but, um, you know, other events got in the way. Also, it was not on our run sheet, and I blame Jake. Uh, the track and field season started last week with two meets, the Clemson opener and the Boston University indoor opener. You take the Clemson one, and I'll pass through the, uh, the Boston University one. Yeah, so we went up to Clemson. Uh, they've hosted a lot of meets in the past uh, up in their indoor. It's a place we get to two or three times uh, during the indoor season, but um, very close trip. Uh, I feel like many of us have made that before. That being said, they sent a nice contingent of tech folks up there. Uh, we had a handful of top five finishes. Uh, Clemson, very notably, uh, is still a women's and a men's indoor and outdoor track team. Much Very notably, chagrin, in fact. Much to the chagrin of one orange suit-wearing man who we all know and tolerate. Um, but uh, the Clemson opener, notable finishes, as I mentioned, the high jump. Uh, the jumping jackets were all over the place today with a win. Uh, sorry, not today, but Friday. With a win on the women's side. Um, that's uh, from Shanti Papacosta uh, with a 1.76 meter perfect uh, day in the event. Did not miss a jump. And then we had McKinley Thompson on the men's side place second, uh, just shy of two meters. So great to see there. Uh, I believe, I can't remember if it was uh, Papacosta or Thompson that also finished highly in the long jump. But one of the two of them, uh, this is a great podcast, high, high top notch, but uh, several top finishers in the 200 on the men's and women's side, um, great finishes in the 600 uh, meters and the 60 meter hurdles as well. The notable other finish, though, that I do want to shout out is uh, freshman Riley Perlikowski, uh, first rate, uh, first race as a Georgia Tech freshman, and also got uh, her first win by winning the 600 meters. So great to see. Uh, hopefully, a sign of good things to come. But like we noted, it was a split squad with. Boston University indoor opener, I assume also hosted in Boston. 
Uh, it was cold up there this week. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm actually too lazy to check the weather. Uh, but it looks like, based on our notes and based on the results page here, Nicole Feagans was the star of the show uh, in Boston. She destroyed her own record in the 5,000 meters, uh, finished 12th. Uh, she shaved off 23 seconds of her time to go uh, 1542, which is the first ever time uh, program-wide in program history under 16 minutes. She also finished 13th in the 3,000 meters. Not bad. That's great to see. Um, one thing, based on the results, it appears that it was only Fegans in Boston. So I really want to know if they were just like, here's your plane ticket, here's your hotel reservations. See you next week. They it's so it might just be on the results sheet, but also the way that they wrote the rambling wreck recap on there, I think she also might have just been the only one there. Because there's I, no I, one else mentioned, if I remember correctly. I, I say that last part jokingly, like they definitely sent like a coach or two or something like that with her. Some sort. Of <laughs> they didn't now. send anyone, any other, any other racers. They just yeah. sent a coach or two with her. The, yeah. the joke is that she, <laughs> the joke is that there weren't any other racers. Yeah, just like, all right, hasta luego, go run fast. See ya. <laughs> I mean, I respect it at a certain level. Like, get, put your best players, especially if you're going to do split squads anyway, put your best players in the best possible uh, position to succeed. And that's one thing that track does really well is, is it makes it hard to kind of judge how the season is going until the ACC championships and the NCAAs because they do a really great job of knowing, okay, we're going to split the squad. We want distance to do this. We want field to do that. Um, obviously, those are broad brushes. But on weekends when, you know, Clemson, Vanderbilt, and farther afield are all doing something, just to name an example, if you split it three ways, like they went and they found Nicole Feagin some great uh, – Great competition. So that's that's good to see. So do you split, remember which schools that she was racing against offhand? Uh, no, I don't. There was a long list, though, <laughs> um, with uh, us noting that she got 12th and 13th. That should be a pretty clear indicator just in general. If you've heard us talk on the podcast in the past, um, there's not a lot of meets in the country where, you know, you, you get 12th or 13th and you're still setting school records. Uh, whether we're talking about track or swimming um, or cross country, you know, the, the time-based sports or the, the score, not score-based, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like diving and field kind of have more points or distance attached to them. But um, yeah, I'm really rambling in the weeds on this. So oh, yeah, you are. I, I'm, I'm looking for a results page and I cannot find schedule. one linked. It's in the schedule. Okay. Like, I'll pull it up once there. Um, we're looking this is great podcasting just incredible content so um but no oh, uh, go ahead i got go it ahead. i got it i got it uh just to let's see there's a lot of club track uh, happening here that's worth noting uh so the uh runners that finished ahead of fegans in the 5000 meters uh unattached unattached BYU NC State Notre Dame New Mexico uh, NC State, Yale, Florida State, New Mexico, New Mexico, unattached New Mexico. I, that's an acronym that I've never seen before. Uh, and then Nicole Feagans at Georgia Tech. Uh, and then she also ran the 3000, which I should find somewhere. 
That was the 5,000. Where's the 3,000? Wait, geez, listed twice. That's weird. Uh, for, I assume this is the 3,000. Uh, no, actually, wow, that's a weird meat report. We're gonna, just going to skip that and move on. Uh, I thought speaking- it was interesting noting all the like clubs and unattached here that BU's running club, in addition to BU, like the university team, were both running at the same meet. I don't think I've ever seen a club team and a varsity team from the same school competing against each other. Certainly I have not seen that in, in swimming in quite some time, if ever. But um, yeah, just an, just an interesting thing I wanted to shout out looking back at the results. There's some interesting colleges in here. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can pick out a few that are choice. Suffolk, Fitchburg State. Uh, Boston College. Endicott. There, this is Northeastern school, like the definition of like small Northeastern liberal arts school uh, in, in this list here. There's UMass. some very, very interesting names. Northeastern Air Force. Uh, Southern Connecticut State. Ooh. Université Laval. Is that from Quebec? I think yeah. There was, I think there's a girl from Quebec there. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, speaking of other schools, a very interesting mix of schools that will be coming to town very soon. Uh, Northwestern Miami will be making the trip over and up to Atlanta uh, for a swim meet next weekend. Uh, This is a weird one because I think you noted that Miami just has women's swimming and male diving, but Northwestern has both, obviously. Yeah. Oh, and both both diving? Yeah. That's my bad. Reading is hard, as I've always said. Um, And then Northwestern has both teams. So it's an interesting mix of competition uh, interesting, and it's all it all kicks off next Saturday. What do you, what do you got on this? I, I was going to say Northwestern. We've swam against on the road in the past. Uh, I do recall that I think they did a, a leg in early season a couple of years ago, like Notre Dame and Northwestern on the same weekend. But um, Miami is a team we basically host every year. Uh, there's not really a point for us to go on the road there, given that uh, they don't have a men's team. But Miami often slides in with their women's team for, you know, just uh, to turn a, a two-way meet into a three-way meet. I think in the past we've seen them come up at the same time as the aforementioned Notre Dame or Pitt or FSU or something like that. Um, it varies throughout the years. This year it's Northwestern. Um, like we said, familiar opponents. Uh, Tech did um, have some success at Northwestern on the road. Not the nicest facility in the world and not really the same teams to compare apples to apples anymore. But like we said, some familiarity Uh, in terms of the national picture, Miami, uh, their women are ranked 51st in the country. uh, But I think that really does them a disservice because they're diving. Both schools are just absolutely tremendous. I don't have the NCAA results in front of me at the moment. And I do want to pull them up because I believe um, Miami diving, just the men's diving. So one meter, three meter and platform outscored several like diving and swimming teams combined kind of in a Balgo uh, performance situation. Yeah. Um, so if you'll vamp for a second, I will, um, I will pull that up because that is worth talking about really just to, a tremendous diving program there. Yeah. And so to contrast 
I guess the, so the women you said are 51st, the, and to contrast that with Northwestern, uh, Northwestern's uh, women are 15th in the nation and their men are 26th in the nation. All those rankings are coming from our uh, cap metrics, uh, which is based on the, uh, based on the top 100 finishes in each event. Uh, per USA Swimming. I'm hearing from the voice in my ear and the image in my eyes that you have the results for Miami male diving. Yeah. Um, so it's also worth noting, taking this with the perspective of these two guys are also going to be back this year, likely. Um, Miami's Brody Scapins, uh, a sophomore, finished. Hell of uh, a name. Yeah. Hell of a oh, name. yeah. Finished seventh, uh, while Jack Matthews, uh, a freshman, finished 10th last year in the one meter. Uh, in the three meter, uh, Scapins finished fifth overall, while Matthews finished 12th overall, kind of splitting the difference. They also had at least one more uh, qualifier. I think uh, Maxwell Flory, who's a sophomore, got second overall. And then there is the platform as well. Let's see. I'm trying to scroll down to find it because it's all the way at the bottom. Uh, you had Zach Cooper, uh, a senior, finish third. Uh, so very good. Behind two Purdue guys. Uh, Purdue diving is also good. Ohio State had three in the top eight. Um, but uh, Miami also had uh, Flory, uh, a sophomore, finish 19th in the prelims. And uh, I think there was one more, but I can't really tell because I'm reading through this really fast. Um, there are 21 events overall in, in swimming and um, like the NCAA level, three of which are diving. So they're only represented in one seventh of the events, but Miami's male divers, if I can pull them up real quick, their overall score was uh, they got 19th with a score of 54 points. Do you know what place off the top of your head, Georgia tech finished at the 2021 NCAAs on the men's side? Uh, 21st. Yes, 21st with 40 points. So Miami's diving team alone outscored Georgia Tech. And, and granted, um, they had a they have a lot of top-end talent there, but that just shows um, what being really good at diving can do for you despite, you know, only competing in one-seventh of the events. They got 19th overall. That's called points efficiency. Yes. Yes, it is. So um, always cool to see them on the boards. They're they're really good. Not to, uh, not to gas up an, an opposing team, but... All right, moving moving a little bit along uh, and ignoring Jake's monologue on on Miami diving. Well, I guess acknowledging but stepping past it. Uh, Tech is ranked 16th. Well, they opened at 16th in the coaches' poll. Now they're down to 23. Uh, the Tech men are still unranked. So it's a good level of competition, right? From on the diving side and on the swimming side. Uh, it's a good mix of caliber of opponent, and I think this would be a really good test uh, for how both the women's and the men's team look this season. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to note those rankings uh, because the coaches poll kind of sees Northwestern as the inverse of Georgia Tech, right, with uh, Northwestern's women being a top 25 team and, the, and Tech's men being a top 25 team um, with the opposings being unranked, obviously. So that there, there's going to be – uh, an opportunity for women, you know, to, to get an upset for the men to show uh, some good, 
some good skill there. Um, I think that the overarching themes are going to be is good distance enough to win the meet. Uh, that has been something that tech has really had all year. They've been amazing in the distance events. Um, and it would be good to see that kept up. Uh, haven't seen a lot from the relays yet. So we'd want to see more there. That's big at the end of the year. Those are worth double. And then uh, we already noted the diving. And I think I should fully disclose that I am friends with the captain of the Miami swim team. So I should probably, uh, yeah, let my bias be known, be known there, but should be a good meet, even though it's a pretty low key one. Uh, I don't know about low key. They're getting a lot of advertising during, uh, during basketball games. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up again. McCamish, McCamish pavilion. <laughs> we just have to have like 30 minutes every day of just saying McCamish. And then we'll eventually get it right, you know. That worked for you in teaching a whole organization how to do the uh, uh, sing the alma mater. So, yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do. Speaking of McCamish Pavilion, though, let's talk about the Thriller Dome. Let's talk about some thrillers that were played at the Thriller Dome. Mr. Grant, we were there Thursday night. What happened? Yeah. Uh, well, Georgia Tech just got, you know, the, the biggest regular season program win in, in 12 years. That's all. No big deal. Just just, just not a big deal. Very casual. Uh, Georgia Tech defeated number three or number two, depending on the poll of your parlance, a UConn 57 to 44 is I think the score that I saw come across the final ticker. I think this game was very close. Tech had a 13-9 lead at the end of the first quarter, 28 or locked at 28 in the second or at halftime, uh, locked at what 39 yep. uh, at the end of the third, and then UConn just could not get a basket to fall for the almost the entirety of the fourth quarter. I think their first non-foul shot basket was with one minute left or like one fifteen left. Um, they had only gotten one of those free throws in the hoop before that too. So that's also uh, worth noting. It Some amazing defensive performance, by the way. I think the stat that I saw that this is the lowest points total that UConn has put together in 15 years in a game. First, first time they've been upset by an unranked team in like 12 or something, something ridiculous like that. All of the streaks that were broken are just ridiculous because they go at least a decade. Like it, it, it's wild. Uh, I don't think we've seen a, I, I mean, it, I guess this happened Thursday, so we haven't seen a coaches poll come out yet, but I assume there'll be some, uh, some spicy movement there both for UConn and for Tech. Uh, UConn played another game uh, this weekend. They played UCLA before MLS Cup uh, they, yesterday. They pulled away from UCLA late, but it did get squirrely for them there yeah, as well. They are really, really missing Paige Beckers. They're they're generally shorthanded on, on top of missing Beckers. It's, it's, it's worth noting. But again, it is UConn Huskies women's basketball. They're, they're a name that's been synonymous with excellence not just in women's basketball but in team sports in general Gina Ariyama mm-hmm. considered one of the best coaches of any sport in all of history like that they're they're a very good team not to you know gas up the opponents granted they were a little shorthanded but at the same time you're playing uh, a school that can basically go out and offer almost any recruit in the country and they would they would say yes they have the one of the best collections of talent um East or West of the Mississippi. I think it's, uh, it, it's something that you can say, even, nobody's going to remember in, in two, five, 10 years that UConn was shorthanded for their, for this game, but you are now 
able to go into someone's house and say, look, this is what we did. This is what our program stands for. We beat UConn. It's a great selling point. Uh, you can also throw an expletive in there if you're Aaliyah Love in the post-game video, uh, which was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, they did indeed freaking beat UConn. It was a very, very fun defensive performance to watch. Uh, very, very feisty, very, very aggressive. Even if they did get a little lucky at times with shots not falling for UConn from favorable positions, um, it was a really, really good performance. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's worth noting that um, UConn was, again, held to a very low percentage of shooting. Uh, they were only able to make, I believe, yeah, two of 15 free uh, three-pointers uh, for a 13% there uh, a combination of good defense uh some distraction if you will and uh just just being effective on defense um i think i said that twice but that's uh good and effective on defense are honestly kind of do two different things you can play good defense and still get scored on yeah but effective means you're also limiting points. Now we're getting pedantic. Continue, please. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a very pedantic podcast, but that's podcasting a, that's, is a pedantic medium anyway. It absolutely is. Uh, Tech had three scores and double figures. The aforementioned Alia Love, uh, as well as Naria Hermosa and Lodamai Lotnin. Uh, the team as a whole shot about thirty-eight percent from the field and twenty or yeah, twenty-eight percent from three. Um, granted. Couldn't see more from three point, but I think that's at least getting closer to a return to form from that distance. Uh, Sarah Bates, sharpshooter, was two for three, including two knockdown threes at the end of the first half that not only kept Tech in the game, but I think were um, were just very important at the time. And, you know, you, you win by 13, it may not seem like as much, but in terms of giving the team a, a chance to believe that they can win, I think that was that was pretty important. Uh, Loda Mylotin in two for five from the distance. Uh, Dina Stratmana, 0 for six. So a lot of attempts uh, there. Not uh, not super successful, but um, definitely definitely good to see Tech able to space the floor a little bit more than they have been able to. Yeah, and, and that's been a problem that we've talked about for this team, right? It, that their game plan is sometimes play. I mean, their game plan for the most part is play really good defense, um, hit a bunch of threes. It's just kind of lacking in that middle, middle section of the court, which you can kind of go analytics, step of the mid range jumper, yada, yada. But they just, I think the bigger thing for us is there's not the same Kiara Fletcher dribble drive, really go through the middle and crush someone uh, kind of ability. Yeah, this is where you miss uh, Loyal McQueen too. Um, but it, it is worth noting that Tech played this great defense and only uh, had seven fouls called on them the entire game. Um, I believe no player had more than two. That's great to see. It's good defense and clean defense. That's important. It kept UConn off the line, didn't give them free points. I believe UConn went six for nine uh, overall from the line there. They had three in, in double figures as well. But um but yeah, no, it, it it didn't take a dominating performance by any one player. I think it was a great example of, of team ball. Um, again, shout out Nerea Hermosa. She played 40 minutes and had some great looks that were just, oh, so barely off in, in a way that I think uh, Miles Kelly and Debo Coleman, when we talk about the men's team, are kind of in a similar boat. Um, but Nerea Hermosa, 
I don't think you can say enough good things about her. And, and a lot of those don't really show up as much on the stat sheet, if that makes sense. Maybe I'm, I, I'm, I think it's just, it's something that we talk about in soccer, right? And I keep making soccer analogies, but it's the most comfortable analogy in my hand. It's that it's kind of unexpected goals that you can underperform or uh, overperform your expected goals. And she was in the right places, right? She's taking high quality shots in the post. It, it, something gets tipped or something just bounces the wrong way and she just gets unlucky. But I think you're, you're right on there. She was in the right places. She was getting the ball in the right places. Now it's just, you know, find a rhythm, keep shooting from there. It eventually it'll start going in the basket. Statistically it has to. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, a couple other notes that I had just, uh, Thinking about the thinking about the game in general, like we said, lockdown defense in the fourth. That's when it mattered a lot. Uh, Ariema did resort to fouling with. He started at like two minutes, like two yeah, two thirty like three 30. minutes. But I mean, that was arguably a very good call because Georgia Tech has been, how do I put this lightly, rather ineffective from the free throw line. Uh, you, you know, can, you can say they've had a lot of trouble shooting free throws. This is a family them, family environment. Say it quite literally cost them the Purdue game. Uh, and almost cost them the Georgia game. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, with with a little bit better free throws, you're you're talking about the Auburn game a lot different too. Um, mm-hmm. So th- this is a team that is, I think, better than. And we'll talk about the Furman game a little bit here too. It's better than its eight and two record. Um, I think we saw the best. Uh, or not, maybe not the best, best they can be against UConn, but certainly a great performance from them and shows at least what some of the ceiling looks like. And I think uh, that will be reflected in, in hopefully the coaches poll this week, hopefully on the recruiting trail too. You can, you can recruit to wins like this and then interest in the program as well. Um, attendance was about 4,600, uh, I think 400 and change students there. Like it, it's uh it's a good sign. And yeah, a lot of them are UConn fans, but if they're, if they're local, you know, if you, especially people who weren't there, see that and go, Oh, this Georgia tech team can ball. So uh, I know they have a home game against Louisville coming up here soon. I don't know. That's, who else at home. that's I think the turn of the calendar. Yeah. I think that's second of January, but yeah, that's after the holidays. Point is uh, it should drop good interest for, for the ACC season, especially if they keep winning. Absolutely. Give me your one sentence on today's Furman game. That was a 63-36 win. Uh, Furman was scary from three at the start, but really, really cooled off as the game went on and Tech was able to coast to a win. Statistics, baby. Expected goals. They always regress back to the mean. Yeah. Um, Furman actually still outshot their their field goal percentage. They were 24.5% from the floor. Uh, 27.3 from three points um, while tech was 36 and 33 respectively. I think uh, it's good to see that three point ticking up. The foul shots are still low. Got to work on that. But uh, we talked about an O for six uh, from Stratmanai in the first game. Well, she was six for 12 from three in the second. So really giving her the green light on that. Sarah Bates was four for eight. Um, yeah. They, they shot a lot from three, but you know, they went 11 for 33. That's not, that's not terrible. Yeah, not terrible at all. Uh, Tech is back in action on the 19th, so that is next Sunday uh, versus Wake Forest at home. That's a 6 p.m. tip 
on ACC Network. So that is a change. Uh, you have some notes here. Wake Forest massively improved in 2021, I guess, 2020, 2021, uh, compared to 1920. Uh, they upset Louisville, or almost upset Louisville, it seems. Yeah. So uh, I, I think the key is sort of keeping them contained and preventing them from, from getting on runs. I don't know. My basketball flu is very poor. Yeah. Uh, Wake Forest comes in a daunting eight and one, but uh, what's the phrase that we like to use, Akshay? They ain't played nobody. They ain't played nobody, Paul. Uh, Also notably, speaking of them not playing uh, anybody, they're playing two games earlier uh, this next or this coming week before they head to Atlanta at the end of the week. So bit of a uh, bit of a jog, bit of a uh, or fixture congestion for them as well. They could very well wind up uh, wind up ten and one by the time they get here. But looking, so these are their last two games of the non-con slate. It's not that impressive, to be honest. They've lost their only game against a power team. They were uh, defeated at home by Nebraska uh, by twenty six points. Um, they're they'll have a common opponent in the form of ETSU, but that game's not until. Uh, Monday. So uh, by the time you're hearing this, that will have happened. Uh, but in terms of that, the uh, the rest of their slate is a road game at Mercer that they won. Uh, a lot of mid-majors. They took East Carolina, a couple other Carolina localish teams. Um, at home, you had a high point on the road. It's really just not, uh, I don't, it's kind of like when you start ACC volleyball play and you're like, shoot, Boston College is 10 and 0. And you're like, oh wait, Boston College. They haven't played anyone. So um, we'll, I, we'll see what Wake Forest is made of when they come into our building for a 6 p.m. game, too, on ACC Network. So it's a it's a nightcap next Sunday. I'm so ready to be done with bad tip times. By the way, this is this is a, more of an indictment of the uh, men's basketball Wisconsin tip that was like 930 at night. And I just was not interested in moving <laughs> that time of night. I, I really like the 6 p.m. primetime Sunday ACC network fixture uh, for every reason, except the that is when we record our podcast slash I write Yellow Jacket Roundup. So a little bit inconvenient. Uh, take your, take your computer, take your microphone to the arena next week, and we'll just do it from there. We'll do it live. I was going to say, I've, I've, there's probably some sort of broadcast rights situation in there, but <laughs> we'll just do it from Do crimes. You know. Do crimes. Uh, uh, moving on, let's talk about crime. Let's talk about the other team that plays at uh, McCamish Pavilion. Got it right that time. Uh, technically, they played at State Farm Arena this past Saturday. Georgia Tech lost to uh, Louisiana State University and Will Wade. A lot of turnovers in this one. Uh, you could make a lot of pastry or you can have a lot of pastry. That joke didn't come out right. Uh, It felt kind of like the same situation as the UNC game where it was very competitive. Uh, Tech was playing really clean basketball, or at least very effective basketball in the first half, and then just kind of dropped the level of intensity, started getting really, really unclean. Shots didn't fall as well as they wanted to in the second half, and it just it, it bit them, bit them right in the butt. Tech was winning by 12 with 90 seconds left in the first, 34 to 22. And they went into the half, the half, 
Uh -oh. uh, somebody's in trouble. <laughs> um, the police but, siren is gassing you up. They're setting you up for an alert because this uh, is bad. Georgia Tech uh, went into the half only up 34-30, really rushed through their last possession and gave um, LSU the opportunity to cut it to a four-point game rather than it being six or even eight or nine had things gone the other way. I think um, that was pretty emblematic of after Tech, Tech did lead uh, 24 to nine at one point. Uh, so even, even a bigger lead than that, but uh, there was a lot of hero ball, man action, a lot of turnovers. Georgia Tech built a pretty big lead off of some effective offense. Yeah. Sharing the ball, forcing turnovers, but also LSU just being, so abysmally terrible that like if regret like regression happened right and and it and it did in full force that uh it wasn't it it not that it was inevitable obviously nothing is inevitable in sport otherwise you know we talk about a lot of stuff very different but um it talk was, about a lot more yankees titles <laughs> true um it was very tough to go from this is fun and weird to Oh, wait, now we oh, have no. that is not doing well. Um, yeah, I think Georgia Tech got outscored after 24 to 9. I think it was 60 to 29 the rest of the way, and it felt every bit of that. Um, so, yeah, LSU tightened things up. They're a great team. They're a top 25 team, uh, and, and Georgia Tech didn't. Uh, we didn't. We didn't see a lot of scoring in general in the second half, uh, so not going to call anyone out in particular there. But at some point you have to ask, like, not where our set plays or anything like that, but just like what's going on with the offense. Uh, there, there's a lot of, you know, like I just need to do it um, from, from players. It seems like, and I don't know, I, I don't want to indict anyone or anything like that, but Georgia tech has been uh, very competitive in the Wisconsin game. And then just in its two games since against good opponents have been just tough, tough to swallow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these aren't – I don't even think you can say they're shorthanded in these cases, right? Because, I mean, they have recovered, assumedly, from the flu for the most part here. They're all healthy. They're, everyone's available. Uh, these are just sort of – it's not an effort, the lack of effort thing. It's just sometimes it's a – you change your style of play thinking that you have the advantage. Um, and that makes your advantage go away. Yeah, I think uh, they've got some stuff to figure out, whether that's minutes or just, you know, not turning the ball over. A lot like the women, they need to make more free throws. And obviously that was the only thing that undid them here. Um, but uh, yeah, tough game. I don't think we actually said the score yet, have we? I didn't have the, I didn't have the score written down, but I remember it was uh, double digits. Yeah, it was uh, the final score was. 69 to 53 so lost by 16 and it it felt like more than that in the second half just like it felt like we were winning by more uh just because of the game flow was just a very stark change if you were watching or there in person i think you could you could probably tell it, it was kind of like two different games honestly it felt mm -hmm. like two different games no so I, I mean i think will wade made a lot of good halftime adjustments uh and got his team in the position to succeed and I don't think that tech did a good job of adjusting to the adjustments and inceptioning all the way through that, uh, through that variable. 
Every time you say Will Wade, I think of Wallace Wade, who, you know, was the Duke coach. Different in person. 1940, something like that. So, <laughs> oops. Wallace Wade does not make strong offers, if you get my parlance. But he did host a Rose Bowl, I think, if that was him. I don't know. His stadium, technically. Yeah, well, uh, this is just great podcasting. Amazing podcasting. You know what's better? Uh, where... Uh, next week's game versus Southern Cal is one being hosted and two where it's being broadcast. Uh, hosted in Phoenix, uh, the Footprint Center, I believe it's called these days. And then that uh, is that the is that the Suns Arena or is that the the one in Glendale that the Coyotes play at? I think it's a, the Suns Arena. It's a great question. It's in downtown Phoenix, so yeah, that's the Suns Arena. It's the Suns Arena. Okay. Yeah, because I, I oh, no no because the Coyotes play in Gila River Arena, I think. Yeah. Oh, see. Anyway, not important. I was going to say it's been it was Phoenix Suns Arena last year, which is why I was confused. But anyways, uh, the the kicker here is that this game is on the Pac-12 Network at 4 p.m. Eastern yep. on a on, on a Saturday, so no one's going to be able to watch it. <laughs> yep, you're right. <laughs> That's about all uh, I got. I. Despite endorsing doing crimes, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess I'm going to double down on doing crimes to find this game, but you could also pay for it. I don't know where you would pay for it, but you could pay for it. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I don't even know where you'd look, but uh, USC, another top 10 net team. So an opportunity for a big win, but also another opportunity for, you know, UNC to beat you a third time. Woof. Uh, let's move on to a team that's had a, uh, a bit of a week, a bit of a week to put it mildly, Georgia Tech football. You have the first update, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, it's not easy to talk about, but it is worth noting. Uh, Marius Thomas's untimely death. Um, Again, this isn't something that's about us, whether that's you, listener, me, podcaster, Akshay, listener, and podcaster. Uh, it's, it's something bigger than us, something more significant. Um, so I'm not going to talk about, about what my role or anything that affected me and part of this is because that's not the point. The point is uh, Thomas has gone too soon. Um, we don't know a lot of medical things about it. Don't want to do a lot of conjecturing. Um, but 33 is, is too soon. Um, mm -hmm. not a single thing that has come out since, uh, has been anything short of glowing, impressive and courageous, uh, about, about baby. And, uh, Yeah. I don't have a lot of words. Uh, he was on the flats before I was. I knew him as a fantasy football wide receiver and, and Denver Broncos player uh, before I was anything related to tech. So if you guys remembered him from his days here, more power to you. But I think the more important, the more lasting and more significant thing will be his effect on people and uh, the communities he served, organizations, um, and just showing, showing uh, an exemplary way to uh, 
live a life in, in face of massive adversity. So again, I didn't really prep words there. So hopefully, um, hopefully it came off well, but to his family, all we can do here from, from the from rumble seat as a whole, honestly, not just myself and Akshay in the podcast is, is wish his family the best and um, yeah. And some peace in all of this. Absolutely. Um, the one thing I will add to your, uh, uh, to your comments there is that we do have a thread open on the site uh, to talk. Uh, so where people can talk about a player that he was, cause he was a hell of a player, hell of a player, hell of a guy. Um, and obviously gone, gone too soon. Um, I think we need to switch gears here just so we can, you know, uh, just to keep moving. Um, Georgia Tech, other news items for the football team. Uh, they did pick up a defensive backs coach and filled that slot uh, in Travaris Tillman, who is a captain on the 1999 Georgia Tech football team, uh, pried him away from Michigan State. Uh, my understanding for this one is that this was more of a recruiting focused hire. He was an on-field assistant for Michigan State uh, that had some coach, coaching significance, uh, control over the defensive backs there. Uh, but at least from what I've read, what, I, uh, what I've talked to people about, it seems that Mel Tucker uh, was more uh, directly in control of the defensive backs. And he also got a lot of assistance from uh, their longtime defensive coordinator. So um, interesting, interesting hire. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't know enough to have more comments than that, but I think folding into our next bullet, um, the shard choice to Southern California to be on Lincoln Riley's staff, which is not a great development, uh, to be completely honest. I think uh, the Tillman hire looks better uh, and necessary. Absolutely, because uh, the Tillman hire, one of the other points of his Michigan State tenure was that he was one of their primary Georgia recruiters. Uh, along with Mel Tucker. So you're technically these were one was before the other and that the defensive back coach hiring was before Tashar Choice announcing that he was leaving earlier today. Uh, but it fills a need, a need position in terms of uh, recruiting, uh, recruiting prowess, especially in state. Uh, speaking of recruiting uh, with all the staff changes, we do have a couple of decommitments to discuss, I want to see if I can find a list here. I see Jeffrey Bonica has decommitted. JV and Simpkins, who's a 2023 recruit, uh, has decommitted. Uh, I think there was one more that I saw as well that, that I can't recall. Um, oh, Alton Tarver is also uh, a decommit. So, Staff turnover is resulting in a lot of uh, a lot of these changes, and it, we just sort of have to see how these things resolve themselves, and how Tech utilizes the transfer portal, and even the rest of the uh, rest of the time, the next three days before the early signing day period uh, starts, uh, to fill some of these gaps on the current roster. Yeah, um, I will say that just in general, this week was about every different flavor of bad um, in a lot of ways. You shouldn't equivocate any of them together. Uh, that's nope. That's bad. Uh, and I, I hate that we kind of had to keep moving along through this, but 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I put this in a certain way in writing Yellow Jacket Roundup. It'll be live by the time you're hearing this. But the the onslaught of news the past few weeks has been particularly exhausting. There's been some highs. There's been some low lows. Um, and if you're feeling tired, you're you're not alone. And it is okay to take a breather, to take a breath. You know, sports aren't everything in the highs or the lows. And uh, kind of shouldn't drive that. Um, so if if you're in a place where football has you down or up, um, you know, just put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think one of the good so there are a couple good things that that also happened this this week, right? We had the U, the UConn win for women's basketball. Uh, we started off the week with women's volleyball making uh, the regional semifinals and regional final. Uh, let's get into that because I think that is an achievement that we need to talk about. We need to cover uh, because it's what the second we said the second time that they've ever made a regional final second uh, the third time ever that they've ever made it to the regional semifinal round. Um, so regional semifinal versus number nine, Ohio State. That was a 3-0 sweep. Uh, very tight game. I think the sweep sort of undermines the fact that this was this could have gone either way uh, yeah. for the most part. Um, and Tech didn't really pull away until well into the third set. Yeah, uh, I think... That's a great way to frame it. Uh, it is well worth noting that the the last set went to 26-24, or not the last set, the second set went to 26-24 uh, before being decided. And Georgia Tech was was trailing basically the entire match past 6-6, uh, or not the entire match, the entire set. Jeez, I'm all over the place. They, had, they were facing set point. They were facing set point at like 25-24. And then came back, took two points to take this set right from under, um, or, or 20, 20, whatever, words 20, hard. Uh, 24-23, and then took three points uh, basically right under Ohio State's nose to take that set very, very late. So, um, And that's, like, that's all she wrote sometimes, you know, like that is, that's what happens. The game is very fickle. The game is a is a cruel mistress sometimes. And I think we also saw a little bit of that uh, in the regional final as well, which was unfortunately a 1-3 loss to number one Louisville, who remains undefeated. Louisville heads on to the final four. Uh, hell of a season, got to say. Uh, bad setup on my part with words, but it was a hell of a season for this team, for this group. They featured a lot of seniors at a lot of key positions. So it'll be interesting to see if they have eligibility for next year. I'm certain that both of us agree that, you know, having, having from Bia, having McKissick back most notably would be a huge, huge help to the 2022 team. Uh, but, you know, it soup's not even really cold here. If you get my parlance. Yeah. Um, just a couple examples of volleyball being fickle. I believe there was a stretch for Ohio state got three straight service aces in a row. Uh, and that oh, was, they, yeah, that was and a still moment. walked away with the loss though. Like that is sports are cruel, man. Like that's, that's really tough. They were very effective throughout the game. They're a top 10 team for a reason. Um, but then again, Louisville is a number one team for a reason. Uh, again, there have been years that Georgia tech has won more games. Uh, they won 34 games before they've, they've won 
more than 26, which is how many they had this year. I believe six other seasons. Uh, but on the flip side, uh, they've only lost six games one other time, and they topped it by only losing four uh, one time as well. Why does that matter? Um, well, it, it matters in terms of putting this season in perspective. Georgia Tech went 26 and 26, um, fewer games than usual. It's also worth noting. But Georgia Tech, I'm actually here. I'll quiz you a little bit. Oh, God. How many times, how many times in Georgia Tech's 41 uh, season history before this do you think they played top three teams? First, uh, second, and third. Uh, at l- it's got to be at least once. Well, at, at most twice, I think. For uh, number one, number two, and number three ranked teams. Like totally oh, uh, oh, like all th- oh, all three of them? Like, yes. I don't think I don't think they have in the same year other than this year. No, no, no. But like if you counted the number of times they played the number one, number two, number three teams, how many total times would that be? Just guess. Okay, you've yeah. asked this question three times in three different ways. Uh we're gonna move past the format, but um at least I'm gonna say ten times in forty one years. No, it was seven. Seven times shooting distance to each first, second, and then three of third. I believe Georgia Tech was 0 for seven in those games this year. They played the number one team in the country, number two team in the country, or number three team in the country five times and went one for four. They nearly doubled their 41 year total in a single year, and they still they still were good enough to host the opening two rounds, to make it to the Elite Eight, to win one of the games on the road, and then take a set for the first time in five years against Louisville. Like, six years. Six years. Six years. Great. Even better. Um, I think it was six years. Yeah, I don't I know. Math is hard. But season, season math is tricky versus year math. Um, I promise that makes sense. But, um, yeah. Georgia Tech did this by playing by far the hardest schedule they have ever played. Uh, and they still came out with an elite eight finish with, with some of the best uh, numbers that they've ever seen. Yeah. They didn't win the ACC, but this is the best year in the history of the conference and dang straight. Like Louisville could win it all very, very readily win it all. Uh, Louisville and Pitt uh, are both in the final four. Uh, the ACC. Are they on the same side of the bracket? Do you know? I don't know. That's a great question to look up, but I don't. Think I think so. that I actually think they're on. Okay, I think yeah. I think they have to be on different ones because I think Ooh. Texas and Pitt were slated to have played, but Texas lost to UW last night. Yeah, because Wisconsin was the number four seed overall, so whoever's coming out of the Wisconsin region is playing Louisville. Um, but that being said, so that was Pitt. That's Pitt, I think. No, well, well, Pitt's playing the winner of the Wisconsin region. Point is, you look it up. I'm, I'm going to make my point. The ACC, in its entire existence as a volleyball playing conference, has had one Final Four team ever. Florida State made it. 2011 one. FSU. And this year, there are two teams in the Final Four, two very deserving teams, two top three teams in the country. This Georgia Tech team likely beats every ACC champion pre-expansion, pre-2013 era expansion handily. Like, that is the fact of the matter. This is the best year in the history of the conference. Dang straight, now that we've lost, I hope Louisville goes and wins it all. It would be great for the conference. It would be great uh, for them, for, for ACC as programs. It, it, helps, it helps the whole conference when the top of the conference is really good. 
And I think that matters more than than the banner because at the end of the day, they made it to the Elite Eight. That That's a flag that flies forever, right? I'm going to love every second of them raising that banner at O'Keefe uh, next year. They just bought it like three weeks ago. They got to get a whole nother one. And they can just – they'll get a patch for it. They, they've already patched one banner in, in, in McCamish. They'll oh. just do the same thing. Oh, that one hurts. I saw that in IT they patched with one. my own eyes. With my own eyes. Ugh, but, that, uh, that stunk. Uh, so I did pull up the Final Four. It's Louisville, Louisville Wisconsin, uh, and then Pitt, Nebraska. So it was Nebraska that beat Texas the other day. Um, and then Wisconsin swept UCLA uh, – in one of the late games on Saturday, or I, on, I guess that would have been Thursday. And then I they beat Minnesota. So, they beat Minnesota on, on Saturday. So, so, so love to see Louisville Pitt round three for the national title. That would be a tremendous game. It was an excellent game the first time. It'd also be a hilarious own of the coaches' poll, by the way. Hilarious own, despite the fact that both of these teams have been top five at worst all season. Um, I still don't think the the uh, coaches love the AC, that the ACC is now a volleyball conference. Yeah, I mean, Georgia Tech was rated above with Ohio State basically all year in RPI, but below by the coaches. And that tells you all you need to know about the coaches poll. So I'll leave it at that. Womp, womp. I do want to note one thing that I saw during this tournament weekend. Uh, there was a kick save and a beauty for a Wisconsin set winning point uh, versus Minnesota on Saturday. Please go find the video. It is amazing. Go for it. I got one question for you. Oh, God. what What is it? Now that the season's over, what are we going to talk about? Um, I don't know. I really don't. Uh, we need to plan some content. We, we really do. do. Uh, just looking ahead at the spring, obviously we'll have men's and women's basketball through the break, uh, some swimming here and there. But uh, pretty soon tennis tennis and softball are going to pick up. But for those of you who have been following all season, volleyball has been a, a joy to talk about and has been uh, definitely our probably our go-to most of this most of this fall. So hopefully, you know, you know, no, I trust – that this staff, uh, even if everyone's not back, that there'll be a retooling. But, you know, this is the first semester of time since the pandemic sports return that we haven't had volleyball to talk about. So go figure. Yeah, this is going to be it's going to be a weird one. We could get really into F1 legal controversy. Uh, let's wait till uh, Drive to Survive comes out. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, all I know is that the race this morning went horribly. So I hear there's going to be a lawsuit, but that's me being a sicko. So, oh, I do want to say one thing about uh, volleyball before we let that go, like forever is like it just okay, won't... not forever. We'll not forever, talk about them but... next year. Yeah, but like it warms my heart to see people like warming up to them to see them getting getting more of that love like don't forget it even if they're not as good next year granted you know you may not it's not as much of must watch tv but even if they fall off like hopefully hopefully people got exposed to something that they haven't haven't followed before i remember um the women's tennis final full run was special and sad when it ended but like there's always positives to take away from from deep runs like this so 
this is this is honestly probably the best top to bottom tech team since at least in terms of postseason results since that one. So, you know, a new we have a new bit, a new bit to talk about. Uh, outro as we head out here, your lasting memory of this tournament run of this volleyball season. I feel like we're going to have the same one, uh, but I'm curious. Uh, wow. I was expecting the outro to be the, the Jake from state farm arena take, but no, uh, no, we're, we're going to do that later. All right. Um, gosh. Um, Seeing Claudio get fired up was pretty good. Uh, Pitt. He did. Get, he did get a yellow card for, like for yelling at the ref. He got like five this year. He he cares. That means a lot. Um, but uh, no, the, the the Pitt win was a high water mark. I feel like you had Pick one. The question was one. One moment. Wait, what's yours then? Because you said you thought we'd have the same one. Yeah, I thought we'd have the same one. You said Pitt. Mine was not Pitt. What was it? It was the it was the entire team and the coaching staff and administrators doing the horse. Oh, the last uh, game of the year. I thought I thought you meant like a game. No, that was that was a no game. moment. That's why I phrased it as moment. Oh no my my favorite my favorite moment from the year was the constant spelling lesson uh, that we got from Citadel fans. Just kidding. No, it was the horse. But yeah. Okay, the Citadel one was funny. I gotta say, uh, they. I mean. Credit to those fans for showing up in droves. I got to say that. They brought a lot of cadets. Oh, speaking of showing up in droves, there were 6,000 people at last night's game. Good for them. They play – yeah, Freedom Hall is a nice little venue. I know it's usually used for basketball, uh, for Bellarmine basketball, but good little venue. Yeah. It was uh, loud. It was real loud. Yeah. Uh, There's a – you know the old rule of, like, don't get turned into a meme on TV? Uh, yeah, so which is why I told all of you never to surrender Cobra uh, when in the rec club student section back in the day. I, I have never become a TV meme, but it was see, funny. That's see, just not true, but let's move past it for now. It, it, it was funny because uh, I, I saw uh, my my sister play softball for Louisville, for those who didn't know. But uh, she, was looking all, she was looking all grumpy during set two, and I was like, ah, ah. Did you, get, did you get a screen cap? Uh, yeah, there is a screen cap floating around our family group chat. So don't, don't become memes. <laughs> I need to see it, but we're not going to put it in the show notes. That would be no, weird. No way. Send it my way. Um, That'd that, be very yeah. weird. All right. I think we're done. I, we're, we're starting to get punchy. Yeah. It's, it's almost seven o'clock. Do you have any other items to talk about? If you yeah. want to do your state farm bit real quick. Yes. It's like three sentences. Um, that being said, I had not been to, uh, State Farm Arena, since it was called Phillips, uh, I believe that we that was actually the, la- the last time I was there, uh, Akshay and former podcast host Cade and I, about four years ago, went to a Bulls-Hawks game for like six Dude, bucks. That, that venue, was, it, it, was, it reminded me of a, I, I know this is off topic, it reminded me of a domed version of uh, uh, Levi Stadium in San Francisco, or I guess technically Santa Clara, whatever, um, because all of the suites were on one side of the building. And if there was no roof, you'd get the sun that goes, hits right on the suites and reflects right into the upper deck where we were sitting for $30 or something egregious. Those Hawks teams were bad. They were not worth $30 for tickets. The Bulls were also terrible that year. We, we saw that some was not a, quality basketball. We saw some awful basketball for $30. It was the, um, 
I, I was going to say it looked like a very 90s, like Home Depot, Lowe's warehouse store on the inside, but now pretty good. They opened up the concourse, had a hot dog for three bucks, good prices on, uh, on food. Very easy to, we were in and out in terms of gate right by them, like Marta station parking lot side, very, very easy access. So definitely, definitely thought it was a nice venue to watch a game. Obviously I, I like McCamish better. The arena. McCamish. Yeah. Oops. We're going to need uh, a spray bottle. The uh, top level being split into three different, like upper decks is that, that will never not get me. Uh, but, but in general, it's a really nice place to watch a basketball game, even with the loss. So, uh, Hey, if, if we do this holiday hoops giving, feature us against an SEC school every year for the, for here until whenever. I think that's a pretty good deal just to shake things up and kind of like the mayhem at Mercedes Benz uh, gives our players a chance to play in an Ember NBA arena at least once a year. So that's cool and better than football since there are more than six or seven home games, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I this also goes back to a point that I think you were making uh, last week about some of the tournaments that Tech doesn't find themselves involved in a whole lot, uh, some of the early season tournaments, getting some of that action uh, both monetarily and uh, and experience-wise would be would be super nice. So more experiences like that would be cool. Yep. But, uh, yeah, I think the only wish list item other than that in terms of playing in pro stadiums would be getting uh, Tech versus UGA back in, back in Truist Park rather than being at Cool Ray because that was – you know, a great experience when it was at true. Oh man, we didn't even, we didn't even talk about the baseball schedule this week. Oh, we're going to, we're already at an hour. We're going to have to do that next week. Tune in. We'll We'll, we'll get to it. I was going to say between, between only having like, uh, I think one men's and one's women's basketball game, plus a swim meet, we'll we'll have plenty of time to talk baseball next week. Oh boy. It's going to be a packed one next week. Maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll, We'll figure it out.